Um, I, I'm so thankful that you're all here, uh, be it online or in the house. You just need to know you're really, really welcome. And I also want to say, everybody just kind of fasten your seatbelt because I'm going to say some really, really crazy things today. And um, so I'm not trying to chase anybody away. I really, honestly, I, um, I'm trying to just barely maybe look through an incredible thing that God has given us in his word that uh, just is, is mind-boggling. But anyway, I'll leave that there. So have any, did any of you take in some of the congressional hearings three weeks ago about the UFOs and UAPs? Uh, what, what is it? Unidentified aerial phenomena. They're using that a little bit more now than instead of the old UFO term. Um, as you might imagine, it has brought a variety of responses. For some, they think that that is proof of alien life. And for others, they think that accidentally some secret military technology was discovered. And for others, they think it's nothing more than a distraction from where they really don't want you to look. Well, whatever the case may be, it does reveal some mysterious aspects of our existence. And I just want just to say, that's okay. That's okay. You serve an incredible God. And if you could figure him out, well, he doesn't deserve to be God. He's much bigger than any of us can imagine. The Bible has many mysterious passages that literally set the imagination on fire. I'm serious. And sometimes determining whether or not the ancient writer was using metaphor or was expressing something literally, well, that, that can be a tall task to decipher. And nevertheless, the fantastic moments in Holy Scripture beg for wild theories and imagination and dreams and conversation. It's okay. It's okay to talk about these really weird things in Scripture. It's not like we need to avoid them. For example, in Genesis 6, there is a description of the Nephilim, who were the offspring of angels and human females. These beings shared both angelic and human DNA. The Bible actually describes them as heroes of old men of renown. Now, if you want a preacher that's just going to set some of these things to the side and not ever mention them, well, y'all are stuck with me. <laughs> I, I don't want to put God's Word in a box that I can figure out and tie a nice little neat bow on top of it and say, see, this is a, the explanation. Okay, let's keep going. The Bible references the Leviathan. Literally, a great sea monster or sea serpent. In Psalm 74, 14, it's a multi-headed sea serpent that is killed by God and given as food to the Hebrews in the wilderness. 
Sounds metaphoric, I think. If you go to Isaiah chapter 27 and verse 1, it says the Leviathan is a serpent, seemingly a symbol of Israel's enemies who will be slain by God. I think that's metaphoric. But the same word, Hebrew word for Leviathan, in Job chapter 41 is described by God. Here we go. Can you catch a sea monster, Leviathan, by using a fish hook? Can you tie its mouth shut with a rope? Can it be led around by a ring in its nose or a hook in its jaw? Will it beg for mercy? Will it surrender as a slave for life? Can it be tied by the leg like a pet bird for little girls? Is it ever chopped up and its pieces bargained for in the fish market? Can it be killed with harpoons or spears? Wrestle at once. That will be the end. What powerful legs, what a stout body this monster possesses. Who could strip off its armor or bring it under control with a harness? Now remember, this is God describing the Leviathan. Okay, here we go. Who would try to open its jaws full of fearsome teeth? Its back is covered with shield after shield, firmly bound and closer together than breath to breath. When this monster sneezes, lightning flashes, and its eyes glow like the dawn. Sparks and fiery flames explode from its mouth, and smoke spews from its nose like a steam from a boiling pot, while its blazing breath scorches everything in sight. Its neck is so tremendous that everyone trembles. The weakest parts of its body are harder than iron, it is, and its heart is stone. And its heart is stone. When the noisy, when this noisy monster appears, even the most powerful turn and run in fear. No sword or spear can harm it, and weapons of bronze and iron are useless as straw or rotten wood. Rocks thrown from a sling cause it no more harm than husks of grain. This monster fears no arrows. It simply smiles at spears, and striking it with a stick is like slapping it with straw. As it crawls through the mud, its sharp and spiny hide tears the ground apart. And when it swims down deep, the sea starts turning like, a bo like boiling oil and leaves behind a trail of shining white foam. No other creature on earth is so fearless it is king of all proud creatures, and it looks upon others as nothing. Merely a glimpse of this monster makes all courage melt. And if it's too fierce for anyone to attack, God says, who would oppose me? I'm in command of the world and in debt to no one. Well, some of you didn't know that was in the Bible. Anybody, you probably didn't expect to hear somebody read Job 41 to you in Sunday morning church. But you just got it. These mysterious passages are riddled all through God's written word, this sacred account. What are we to do with them? Well, just because it's not clearly explainable or fully understood, I don't think means that we should put our proverbial head in the sand and not talk about it and move on. No, I, I think we embrace the, mer the, the, the mystery. And I think we ponder it, and meditate on it. 
And when we think our children are old enough to handle it, won't keep them up with night terrors, I think we crack open to the, Lord, the door to these extraordinary images and we talk and dream about the wonder and power of, a, of an almighty God that, that's full of surprises. One of my children was the recipient of Bible stories. All of our kids, we had Bible stories with them as they were growing up each night. It came a point at one, with one of them that they said, I've already heard these stories. And I've got, I've got, I started, I've already heard that one. Have you heard, I've already heard that one. So Matilda and I knew it was time. So we said, okay, well, we want you to do it nice. We want you to go read Job 41. So he went and read Job 41. I left him there for about 15, 20 minutes. And I came to his room that night, and his eyes were as big as saucers. And he said, Dad, you're not going to believe it. There's fire-breathing dragons in the Bible. <laughs> All of this leads to our text for this series. Look again, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even angels or demons can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. This word demons in Scripture is translated differently among our scholars. Some call it spirits, some say principalities, some say rulers, others heavenly rulers, devils, dark spirit rulers, rulers or their territory or powers is sometimes translated, bad spirits, fallen angels or dark rulers in the heavens. That's whipping through about 50 translations in some of the variations right there. A further description of this entity is given in Paul's word to the church plant in Ephesus, chapter 6, verse 12. Look, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Another description, you know, sometimes the best commentary on the Bible is another passage in the Bible. The point being made in Romans 8, our passage about nothing being able to separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus, is that no created being can bring any level of separation between God's love and the human being. In other words, no supernatural creatures, no hierarchy of spiritual beings can change God's mind on his love toward the human being. The human being is protected with this impenetrable, indestructible shield of God's love. And, and what a mighty shield it is. Charles Spurgeon, in this passage, said these words when he was preaching. If we have to meet the arch fiend himself foot to foot in terrible duel." We have this comfort, that even though he may rejoice over us for a moment and may cast us down, he cannot separate us from the love of Christ. He may open veins and make us bleed even to utter weakness, but the life vein he can never touch. 
Wherefore, be confident, dear brethren, that these spiritual beings, these unseen forces, these strange and mysterious powers, which you cannot fully understand, can none of them separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus your Lord. For many of us, uh, the Lord of the Rings is far and above the best trilogy of them all. <laughs> the ring, which rules all other rings, represented by the worst of the desires of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is that peace that so misleads and misdirects and corrupts. Well, the character Gollum was once a fun-loving hobbit named Schmeagel in this fictitious story. And he fell under the influence of this evil ring, and it moved him into an existence of isolation and darkness. But Gandalf, the Grand Wizard, still saw good in the once Schmeagel, now Gollum. When any of us make a series of poor choices and take rebellious and disobedient paths, our lives can become disfigured with loneliness and with an absence of hope or joy. But before this physical broken existence on earth has passed, there yet remains a choice to choose for the best with the time that we have left, you got to see this scene. had happened. 
So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. Mm, makes me want to start watching it again. There are unseen forces in this world. And no amount of evil can remove any of us, whatever they might be, from God's love. And while we can't change our own pasts, we can most definitely reshape, reshape our future. I love the way C.S. Lewis said this. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. With the inseparable love of God always with us, returning to him and walking closer with him is always an option. Always. Father, I feel like sometimes when we gather together, your Holy Spirit leads us into a time of great praise and rejoicing, accounting how good you are, realizing our own unworthiness, but that is so overshadowed by your worthiness. You are worthy. And at times it drives us to our knees in repentance and confession. Father, that's what I sense happening this morning. And I think it's easy to get caught up with what we're doing in life to the point that we don't take those moments to just be still and real with you. And I just pray, Father, that as we sing this song, that we would be honest with you, that even though we're sitting in a room full of people, online in a home, perhaps in a small group, that we would sense that very intimate time right now between just you and me. And that you would speak to us and that we would respond to you. Hear our prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want us to stand while we sing this. Let's stand.